In Clyburn Park, when Jim says, knowledge is power, Bev replies with, then I choose to remain powerless. We're in the studio today with Courtney Byer, Alyssa Pearson, and myself, Haley Tomlinson, having conversations with director of Clyburn Park, Kate Brennan, cast member Tyra Bullock, and student Patience Williams. Thank You 10 is now at Oklahoma City University, and season three starts the conversation with episode one, The Race to Clybourne Park. Hello, we are live at WOCU from the basement of the Gold Star Building. I am Courtney Byer, and I have with me the director of Clybourne Park, Kate Brennan. Hi, hi, Courtney. How are you today? I'm I'm a little under the weather, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. How are you? I'm I'm getting by, <laughs> getting by. All right, Kate. So you're the director of Clybourne Park. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's about? Oh, gee whiz. <laughs> how much time do we have? Um, <laughs> well, Clybourne Park is set. Act one is set in 1959, and Act two is set in 2009. So that's a, a very rare thing to have a show where the acts are 50 years apart. But essentially, what the, the acts do is they bookend Lorraine Hansberry's Raisin in the Sun. The house that the youngers purchase at the end of Raisin in the Sun is the house that the people live in at in the first act, and it's the house that is being purchased in the second act. Um, and as far as just a context for for the entire show, it's that in this is actually based, well, Raisin of the Sun is based on a court case that Lorraine's Hansberry's family actually went through when they purchased a house in 1937 in Chicago. um, During the time, there were restrictive covenants in the area about where people of different races could live. And her father purchased a house in a quote-unquote white neighborhood and was taken to court over it. Mm-hmm. And they went to the state court, and he, it, they did not rule in his favor, but they took it to the Supreme Court. And after three years, and I believe on a technicality, they actually ruled in Hansberry's favor, so they were able to have the house. But restrictive covenanting of the neighborhoods was not overturned by the Supreme Court until 10 years later, almost 10 years later, in 1948. So the actually the the crux of the story is that in the first act a white family is moving out of town and it turns out they've sold the house to black neighbors which their current neighbors are not happy about and in the second act 50 years later it's that a white family is moving in to purchase this house and wants to completely renovate it from the top from the bottom up Mm. and the black family wants to preserve the historical integrity of the neighborhood and doesn't like that the white family's moving in. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, and, and all of this is set against the backdrop in the 50s of the Korean War in, in 1950 to 53, which is um, considered the Forgotten War. I mean, oftentimes when I mention it, most people are like, oh, we fought in Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it relates to their family, and I, I won't give away why it relates to their family, but um, it... It is very so that the the backdrop of the history of of America and how we have evolved is directly related to the history of how private property and how families evolved. And and there's this quote that I I love by um, uh, Susan Griffin, who wrote a book about war. And she says, 
we forget that we are history. We are not used to associating our private lives with public events, yet the histories of families cannot be separated from the histories of nations. Hmm. So maybe that's what Clever and Park is about. Okay. okay. Um, so you said that this is kind of like, it's got pieces from Raisin in the Sun. And it, like, story Right, one, one of the characters from in the first act of Clyborne is Carl Lindner, who okay. is the guy that goes into the Youngers and tries to buy them out mm-hmm. in Raisin in the Sun. Okay. So yeah. did you, how many times did you read Raisin in the Sun when you were taking on this project? I, I read it multiple times. I saw it on, um, on Broadway during its last revival. Mm-hmm. And we actually, in rehearsal, Sage, our assistant director, cast um, OCU students to come in and have a play reading of A Raisin in the Sun for our cast. And then we were able to discuss it. And so many interesting things came up regarding that because... Um, like say the costs of living, for example, like the youngers, they inherit, they're going to inherit $10,000, um, which to us in 2017 doesn't seem like a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And then and then, when uh, Walter Younger loses money, he loses $6,000. And when he loses $6,000, it's tantamount to losing $50,000 today. Oh my God. So when they inherited 10 grand, it was more like $80,000 that they inherited to purchase their fo- home, first home. I mean, that, that, it, was a, it was a huge amount of money. Yeah. Um, so just little things like that that were revealed really from the reading of Raisin in the Sun. So I am so thankful that um, Sage Tokash, our assistant director, was able to organize that. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I've heard about your rehearsal process. It's uh, different than what students of OCU are accustomed to. I've heard it's called the Brennan check-in. Is that correct? Um, actually, well, what I teach in the classroom is is Brennan check-in, which is a combination of Linklater voice work and Thai body work and vinyasa yoga. But actually, what we were doing in rehearsal is more what's called drop-in, which is a, a type of work that was developed at Shakespeare and Company in Lenox, Massachusetts. Okay. And then how have you brought that to the rehearsal process? Well, what happens when, when you drop in a text is that we get the actors to simply sit in chairs, feet flat on the floor, you know, back straight, and they look each other in the eyes. We make sure that their bellies are released so that their diaphragms are fully dropping so that they can really connect to the text. And then they never have scripts in their hands. So as an actor, it, it can be terrifying or really liberating because um, you, you might not want to have a script in your hand you know that's the one thing that's separating but because if you have a script in your hand what are you really developing a relationship with not the not the text the book right right the book in front of you and not the other actor who's in the scene with you so that's Mm -hmm. what we're trying to avoid we're trying to get people to connect to each other in this dropping in so essentially each actor is assigned um someone who feeds them the text so we had seven um other uh, BFAers who came into our rehearsals, we called them rehearsal assistants, and they were assigned each a member of the company, and then they dropped in the full show. So um, in addition to feeding them the lines, then what they do is they ask them questions about the text. So for example, if the line is um, the history of America, I would Mm -hmm. feed that to you, and I would say the history of America, and then you would say the history of America, and then I would say, um, when was your last history class, the history of America? 
And then you would say the history of America. And I would say, do you like history, the history of America? And you would say history. So you're sort of influenced by whatever they say. And it, and it can be anything. I mean, sometimes it gets really silly and ridiculous, but it ends up revealing a lot more about the text. It's like you can examine the text at all angles. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. As the director, how did you see that affecting the actors? Well, it takes a lot of patience because you're really sitting in a chair and just looking at other people. I mean, really looking. So you have to be really available all the time. So we would have to take breaks probably more frequently than your than your standard equity breaks, which is what we take here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I found them actually becoming more spontaneous, almost because they didn't have a choice. You know, they, they didn't get to have the script in their hand and make decisions about the line beforehand. They had to just say what came out. And, and I think they surprise themselves sometimes. Cool. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to ask you to answer a question in six words. Are you up to the challenge? Always. Great. Okay. My question is going to be... You know, I thought this would be hard for you, but I think it's ending up <laughs> hard for me to ask you a question. It might be hard for me next. <laughs> so after doing this process for the first time here, what is the most important thing that needs to be worked on in this method? Do you mean as far as applying it to our work here? Or do you mean like the most important thing about, about using dropping in? Using dropping in. Okay, so what's the most important thing when you when you drop in? Connect to text, connect to other. There you go. That wasn't hard for you at all. <laughs> I've done this before. <laughs> so thank you so much, Kate, for coming on our show today. Mm, thanks, Courtney. Thanks Wait, for having me. Yeah, of course. And the conversation continues after this. are live in the WOCU basement of Gold Star Building. I am Haley Tomlinson and I am with the lovely and talented Tyra Bullock. What up, what up? <laughs> How are you, girl? I am fantastic. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm pretty swell. Thank you for asking. Now, we are here today to talk about a little something-something, uh, your show, uh, Clybourne Park. <laughs> How is that going? It's going pretty good. And who are you playing? Uh, in the first act, I play Francine, and then in the second, I play Lena. Um, Francine is the, well, she's a domestic worker over oh, in okay. um, uh, Bev and Russ's home. Mm-hmm. So um, she's, essentially, she's a maid. Right. And then in the second act, you have Lena. Um, and this act takes place in 2009? This act takes yes. place in 2009, yeah. So um, they've uh, evolved a lot okay, since for then. Sure. <laughs> I would hope. Yeah. And then who, you said you played Lena? Mm-hmm. And wh- who is she again? Uh, Lena is the great niece of um, Lena Younger from A Raisin in the Sun. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's cool how they tie that in. Yeah, yeah. It even takes place in the same house that uh, wow. the Younger family ended up purchasing purchasing uh, at the end of A Raisin in the Sun. It's actually going to be performed in the round. 
oh no way i didn't know that yeah how's that been uh working you know blocking (laughs) (laughs) that you know it's it's actually really cool it's it's very intimate and it feels like we're in a little a little bubble and so sometimes people are kind of hesitant to step out of the bubble but at the same time you have to like cater to all sides of the audience right. and so you have to be aware when your back is mm-hmm. facing the audience for too long mm-hmm. but then if you're going to move to a different spot so that they can see your face you have to make sure right. that it's motivated movement and such so there's a lot that you got to think about when doing it but most of it comes naturally so it's real cool oh that's nice um so also with the rehearsal process i've been hearing about this uh dropping in method mm-hmm <laughs> Uh, what exactly <laughs> is this? Uh, wh- what have you guys been doing with this method? <laughs> so dropping in. Um, so essentially it's you just taking a moment to yourself before you um, start getting into the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And um, you're basically just stripping yourself away of anything that's going on on the outside world and so you're focusing you in, your in as hand? your character. Um, n- well, no. Mm-hmm. Throughout the entire process, actually, we never had a script in our hand. Um, wow. We did this thing called uh, feeding. So Kate had other people come in and they would read the lines to us and they would ask us questions to follow up on the line that they read us and now personally has that helped you do you think this is a helpful process you know it really it did help with memorization I believe it yeah it did but it also helped with figuring (coughs) out what kind of um like your intention oh okay yeah yeah like Like making it clear like yeah like how you felt about a certain person Mm -hmm. and how like why would you say it like that because you have these people asking you those questions so you're like yeah so they actually cause you to think of things that you didn't even consider (laughs) beforehand and then sometimes like with people's reactions they're Mm -hmm. like oh man like that was real funny or oh my gosh that's kind of sad you know (laughs) like i'm not gonna lie to you like yeah i think i cried twice wow when doing that and that was unexpected i was a little upset at kate about that but that's okay (laughs) (laughs) she's awesome she knows what she's doing oh my god um so what is your uh what are your views on clyburn park do you like this show like really enjoy it i actually do and i wasn't sure if i was going to to be honest that's how i was (laughs) asking when i first got access to the script i um First, I realized that the playwright was a white man, yeah. you know, and then mm-hmm. giving the content that was in the play and how it's a spinoff to A Raisin in the Sun, right. I was quite hesitant. I was I, like, I don't think yeah. this man knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I read the script mm-hmm. and I was like, hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not Give bad. Give a chance. That's not bad. Yeah. You know, I liked it. I liked it. But then getting into the rehearsal process, that's when it really clicked for me. Really? And it is so smartly written. There are so many parallels okay. that go on. So you have act one where it's with um, black people, like the white the white people that are in this neighborhood, Clybourne Park. Okay, yeah. They do not want black people to move into that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So they don't want them to move into their neighborhood. And oh, then wow. fast forward 50 years later, which mm-hmm. is when we pick up in act two, you see that it is a predominantly black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And then you have a white couple wanting to move into that neighborhood. So it's like interesting, just on the opposite end of the spectrum. Right. And it's really interesting. Do you think 
Why do you think people should come see this show? I think that people should come see this show because it raises questions that most people do not consider. Mm-hmm. Like, um, well, <laughs> I hate to be blunt. No, but if, be blunt. If your actions, if they're inconsiderate or if they are offensive, mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot of that when you come see this show. It just, it just raises a lot of questions about what's okay and what's not. Right. And okay. about double standards too. Oh, of course. Because at one Always. point in the play, you have um, the character Steve, who's played by Nick Reese. He um, makes the point that black people are hypocrites because they go around <laughs> saying inward this and inward oh, that. Oh, right. But, but why can't white they people say can't say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, to wrap this up, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. And the challenge is for you to answer it in six words. It doesn't have to be like a coherent sentence. Girl, you do what you want. But what do you want to tell people to get them to come to Clybourne Park? Give me a minute. (laughs) No, you're fine. You got all the time. Hmm. This play (laughs) is about yesterday, today, tomorrow nice that was beautiful well thank you tyra for coming in and talking with us anytime and the conversation continues after this hello it's Alyssa. i am (laughs) coming at you from the wocu studios in the gold star basement here with thank you tin and we have the fabulous patient williams patience williams (laughs) here (laughs) sorry um she's a student at ocu and uh what are you studying here patience I'm studying English with a minor in Spanish. Very nice, very nice. Thank you. Um, So we've recently been talking about the upcoming production of Clybourne Park um, here at OCU in the Black Box Theater. So um, just to give you a little background on the show, Patience, um, uh, are you familiar with The Raisin in the Sun? The at all like yes. the, the concept of the show. Mm-hmm. Okay, great, yeah. great. Uh, so this is an African American family moving into a white neighborhood, and then um, the second act fast forwards uh, to 2009, and um, it's after the family has lived there, and the neighborhood has now turned into a primarily black neighborhood with a white family um, wanting to move in, and there's a big discussion about that, and. Um, it touches on the theme of gentrification. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about here um, is what your views are on gentrification. I know you're a native of Oklahoma City, correct? Yes. Right? So um, kind of what, how you, what you've seen gentrification, what is gentrification for uh, our listeners that don't know and kind of expand on that. Okay, so gentrification tends to happen whenever you have a lower income or not so good neighborhood or area, and then someone comes in and they're like, okay, well, we're going to push people out so that we can make this area better, you know, and attract more people. But I think that something that's important that needs to be said with gentrification is that it wants to attract a certain type 
of people, and it wants to get rid of a certain type of people. Um, and oftentimes, like, you're seeing it more um, in Oklahoma City, especially on 23rd Street. Mm-hmm. You know, 23rd. you yeah, you definitely have these nice shops, you know, and you have these nice places, but at the same time, um, people are being pushed out of where they live. And of course, people could argue, well, it's not as bad as in some major cities, you know, like Chicago or New York, where gentrification is just so common, mm-hmm. you know, but at the same time, um, it isn't fair. Um, but I will say that probably one of the biggest unfortunate um, results of gentrification in Oklahoma City has been deep deuce. I don't know if if you ever had the chance to go to Urban Roots. No, no, okay. I don't even, I'm not familiar with the deep deuce area. Okay, or. so deep deuce was a predominantly black and thriving area of Oklahoma City. Like Duke Ellington came and he played here, yeah. Um, and Louis Armstrong did too. But people would come through Oklahoma, like these predominantly well-to-do black people, and it, like they would just they would just hang out in Deep Deuce. Um, and then one of the areas or like buildings that um, was still around for a long time until about two years ago was Urban Roots. And this was, and it was a, a black owned business that was thriving still that had like a very um, sacred piece of black culture because they would have spoken word nights and they would have really good food and it would just be like like these soulful black people (laughs) who would just come here (laughs) yes and they would just recite their poetry or play their guitars and it it just had right that was like the place to go if you were like a young professional or even like an older um person kind of like like a safe place too you know for people of color but that um underwent gentrification you know so it's it's no longer which is unfortunate but right yeah so um with so you you are a young african-american woman Mm -hmm. and as am i um (laughs) so have you found it like do you feel as though your culture is being pushed out as gentrification comes in more and more? Um, like there are fewer places for um, people of color of all different ethnicities to really go to and thrive and just like live in their culture? Absolutely. There's urban roots. Like um, I didn't even really start going until I was about 19, you know, and and then they closed down. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, like, as for young people, like, a place for them to be around people who look like them, um, you don't really have that here. Mm-hmm. Um, but now um, you you do have places that are on the come up of just young people who are hanging out, um, like Hubbly Bubbly, they have spoken word, yeah. Sauce has spoken word, um, and also just, like, hip-hop nights or rap nights, you know, um, <laughs> And Ordinary People Lounge, that one's been doing really well, which is also, like, a good mix of diversity, like Rainbow. Nice. <laughs> Never you going. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. So in terms of gentrification, um, 
what kind of like just advice to our listeners could you give in terms of like ways we could stop it? Uh, like, how do we fight gentrification? This is something that I've also struggled with. So like, it's okay yeah. if it, this is just a dialogue and you don't have like the ultimate solution. But um, what what advice do you have for moving forward with combating this issue? To be honest, I I don't know because you're also a person of color and it's no surprise or secret that gentrification targets places or people that are of color. Also with our cultures or with people who are of color or even people who are like minorities, you do tend to have like a strong cultural hub. Mm -hmm. So like whenever you push that out, you're also getting rid of that cultural significance and that history, you know, so people can say, well, like, no, there, there are benefits of gentrification because we're, quote, cleaning up the area, yeah. you know, unquote. But, but what is it really doing? You know, like, what are the repercussions of gentrification? And, um, like, where, where do these people go after they've been pushed out? You know, which is something that I don't know. Um, but it's, it's just terribly unfortunate and unfair. Exactly. Yeah. But as for like a solution, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I just studied a no, lot. No, that's okay. It's something but, we will figure out together in mm-hmm. like, as time moves forward. Right. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing we like to do here at Thank You 10 is, uh, ask for a sentence of six words so um what i would like to ask you is if you could give me six words six words that you think embody the issue the issue of gentrification if you want to roll with that and you can also think about it for as long as you need Um, thrive and find community. That's seven. <laughs> thrive and how about thrive in the plus sign? So it's not a word. Is that is that okay? That works. <laughs> I will take it. Okay, cool. Thrive plus find community wherever you are. I love that. Cool. Yes. Bye thrive plus find community wherever you are yes very nice thank you Alyssa. thank you so much for joining us here patience please continue the conversation on our facebook page or wocu online this is thank you tin and we're out So we just want to go ahead and thank all of our lovely guests for coming on the show Um, and make sure that you go see Clybourne Park the weekend of February 2nd through the 5th at 8 p.m. in the Black Box Theater with a Sunday matinee at 2 p.m. Bring $5 cash and that'll get you in the door. Um, We want to go ahead and leave our guests or our uh, listeners with some parting words. Um, when asked about the most important reason for dropping in in the rehearsal process, director Kate Brennan said to connect to text and connect to other. 
cast member Tyra Bullock was asked, what do you want to tell people to come to Clybourne Park? And she said, this play is about yesterday, today, tomorrow. Student Patience Williams was asked for her words um, of advice to give her listeners on gentrification. And she said, thrive plus find community wherever you are. All right, and that's a wrap on our show today. Uh, make sure that you stay on the lookout for some future for a future project from Courtney, Haley, and Alyssa. And with that, please continue the conversation on our Facebook page or WOCU online. Close mind, sharp wire, heavy in a closed mind. Lost mind. Nats in a box, mechanical cinder blocks, closed mind, big mind, clean lines organized, queasy spinning circles in a closed mind. Thank You 10 is part of the student series on WOCU, the official podcast channel of Oklahoma City University's BA Theater and Performance Program. Executive producers of Thank You 10 OCU are Mark Parker, Brian D. Parsons, and Gregory DeCandia. Thank You 10 Season 3, Episode 1, was written, recorded, and hosted by Courtney Beyer, Alyssa Pearson, and Haley Tomlinson. Thank You 10 Theme was composed by Joseph Horak. Additional music in Episode 1 provided by Kate Brennan and Annika Hansen. Thank You 10 was created by Gregory DeCandia and originated at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill's Center for Dramatic Art. From UNC to OCU, all three seasons of Thank You 10 are on wocu.online or available via your favorite podcast streaming service. Thank You 10 encourages you to continue the conversation.